You're listening to Hardwired with Jeff Wickwire. Here's what's coming up in today's edition. It's the goodness of God is intended to lead you to repentance. So it's not okay to go do what you always thought was wrong if the wrong is clearly in the word. It's God trying to get you back by being good to you. Now, and I believe personally that this has gone on with America for a very long time. And now the judgments are starting to fall. God was good for a very long time when America was totally departing from God. God kept being good, but it didn't do any good. In your walk with Jesus, have you ever taken his goodness for granted? Have you ever gotten so comfortable in your faith that it actually enables you to backslide? Today, Pastor Jeff wants you to know that you should always be giving the glory to God and never be taking his blessings for granted. The moment you think you're in charge, the further from the heart of the Lord you'll be. Seek after the still, soft voice of the Lord and let His goodness be praised in your life. Never forget who deserves all the glory. Well, let's join Pastor Jeff in the book of Galatians, chapter 5, as he begins his message, The Great Evidential Fruits of the Spirit. A couple of big words here. The Great Evidential and elemental fruits of the Spirit. And I'm going to show you what I mean by that in just a moment. Now, last time we looked at the first three fruits of the Spirit. Same with me. They are love. How many of you are walking in those? Or at least those are growing in you. Are they growing in you? Well, they should be if you're a child of God. Because we're not going the other way. We're not getting worse. We ought to be getting better. Now, these are what we call the emotional fruits because these are emotion. Love is an emotion. You feel it emotionally, joy and peace, and I love those, all of them, all three. Now, we find the next three fruits, which are what we're going to call evidential. Now, what we mean by evidential is they provide visible proof or evidence of the great work of God uh, in the heart of the believer. You know, I say all the time, when somebody is really saved, it's going to show. There's going to be evidence. Now, you're not perfect overnight. Matter of fact, you're never perfect but you do or should get mature. When Jesus said, be there, be therefore perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. He wasn't saying that we could actually be perfect, flawless. We won't until we get into glory, but we're supposed to grow into maturity and not stay in our diapers, spiritually speaking. But most Christians, most Christians, unfortunately don't grow into maturity. And why don't they? Well, I think there's a lot of reasons, but I think one of them is they don't understand the scriptures. They're, they're never taught the scriptures. They don't know how to walk into maturity, how to grow into it. Well, Galatians is sure one of those letters that tells us how. So uh, the evidential fruits are those fruits that evidence that we are children of God. Now, let's read together all nine of the fruits of the Spirit and then focus on the second set of three. Are you ready? Read it good and loud with me so they can hear you on the radio. Are you ready? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. You know what that's saying? No law or rule book can produce those things in you. It comes by walking in the Spirit. Now, the first of the evidential fruits mentioned is long-suffering. Well, what is long-suffering? It's when you suffer long. How many of you could say, I'm there, Pastor Jeff. I'm, I'm there for sure. 
It's when, uh, well, that's kind of what it means. I'm making a little joke there. But it comes from a compound Greek word. Remember what the compound word is? Two words in one. And the Greek word is makrothumia. Now, notice, makros means long. And thumos is temper. So the Greek word that long-suffering, or we translate into long-suffering, means to have a, a long temper. That is, you don't go off a handle at the drop of a hat. You're not short-tempered opposed to long-tempered. A short-tempered person blows up at the slightest provocation. Even the pets are afraid of this person. When this person walks in the house, the dog gets under the bed. And they blame it on everything. Well, I had a hard day at work, or there was terrible traffic, or things aren't just going my way. No, no. When the fruit of the Spirit is producing long-suffering in you, it doesn't matter how it's going out here. You're still going to be long-tempered. You can take it. You can handle it. A long-tempered person is just the opposite. He doesn't fly off the handle. He has control over his own spirit. Solomon wrote in the Proverbs, a person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. You know what that means? The person who doesn't have control over their own spirit, control over their passions, they don't have self-control, they're angry, they're lustful, they're fearful, they, they don't have control over their words. That's like a city that has no defenses. And the enemy just comes and goes in that city because there's nothing to stop the enemy from getting in. Walls are for protection. The person who has developed long-suffering does not rush to retaliate or avenge a wrong suffered. And long-suffering, guess what, is not the same as patience. You were thinking, well, that sounds like patience to me. It's not. Let me show you what patience is. Patience, Bible patience, is that quality that does not surrender to circumstances or succumb under trial. Meaning, the person walking in patience is not crushed or broken or stopped or defeated by adverse circumstances. They are able to walk continuously in the spirit with a good attitude, carrying the load of that trial. They don't break by it. They're not broken by it. It is the opposite of despondency, and it's linked to hope. The patient person always has hope in front of them. The patient person says, well, it's not the way I want it today, but I know that down the road, God's going to move on my behalf. And so I'm going to walk in that hope. And so this current trial is not going to take me down or take me out. That's the patient person. The patient person rejoices in trial. Remember when James said, count it all joy when you encounter many trials? Knowing that the trying of your faith works what? There you go. It's right there. So that's patience. But long-suffering, on the other hand, is the opposite of anger. And it is used to describe God in the Bible. Romans 2.4 says this about God. Quote, or do you despise, writes Paul, the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? Now, here's the dangerous thing about that. Some people go off into sin. Uh, you know, child of God, church folks will uh, finally decide to step out of the 
protection of the word and what they've always known was wrong. And they'll get out there and they kind of test the waters of the world. And lo and behold, lightning doesn't strike and the ground doesn't open up and swallow them. So they say, then it must be that this is okay with God. And not only that, but for a season, things seem to go even better now that they've gone off into the world. So they go, well, look at that. All those things I believed all that time weren't true. No, 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 no. Here's what's going on. God is being good to you that you might repent. He's saying, I still love you. I'm tracking you and, and, I, and I'm calling to you. And, and I'd rather bring you back through goodness than with a whip. And that's what Paul says right here. It's the goodness of God is intended to lead you to repentance. So it's not okay to go do what you always thought was wrong if the wrong is clearly in the word. It's God trying to get you back by being good to you. Now, and I believe personally that this has gone on with America for a very long time. And now the judgments are starting to fall. God was good for a very long time when America was totally departing from God. God kept being good, but it didn't do any good. Now it's going to have to be some harsh judgments. And I'm telling you, those are going to come. But where are we going to be? We're going to be in the hollow of his hand and hiding under the shadow of his wings. Amen. Now it is by God's long suffering that judgment is withheld from the human race. And here again, the human race will say, oh, well, look at this. We're doing all these things wrong and there's no judgment. You're wrong. God is being good that you might turn. So God's long suffering withholds judgment. If America or you and I got what we deserve, all that there would be all over the land of America is millions, 350 million grease spots. That's it. But very importantly, God's long suffering is not to be mistaken for weakness on God's part or indulgence or indifference. He's not indifferent and he's not weak. He's exceedingly mighty, and his judgment has been withheld. Now, in fact, those who think to take advantage of God's long-suffering are only storing up what for themselves? Now, I'm going to show you the scripture on this. If you take advantage of God's long-suffering and continue in your sin and sort of spit in his face when he's been good to you and, and convicted you and try to draw you back, then the Bible says you're only storing up wrath for the day of judgment. Look what Paul says in Romans 2, 5. But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for who? Yourself, wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. So when a nation like America or any other nation departs from God, decide to go their own way and kick God out, take him out of the public square, take him out of, of the classroom, Take the nativity scenes out of the public square. Just remove mention of God in any sporting events or any public events at all and really try to shut him out. All that that nation is doing is storing up wrath for the revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Because it says every nation that forgets God will be turned into hell. That's what it says. Jesus manifested, talking about long suffering now, this first fruit that we're looking at. Jesus manifested long suffering on an incredible scale. Jesus is the perfect model. 
He was long-suffering with his disciples, was he not? When asked to pray with him in Gethsemane, what did they do in, in the darkest hour of his life? They all fell asleep. He heard snoring in the distance. And his main men, Peter, James, and John, they were all sawing Z's while he was sweating blood. They didn't have a clue what was going on. And Jesus finally finished with his prayer, not my will, but yours be done, Lord. And he walked past them, saw them sleeping, and he left them to their sleep. And he said, here's the deal. The spirit truly is willing, but the flesh is oh so weak. How many of you know that's true? Your spirit's willing, but your flesh is weak. Now, he was long-suffering with the unbelief of his own generation. Look what he said about his own generation. Oh, faithless and perverse generation. He said to the critical crowd at the Mount of Transfiguration, how long shall I be with you? And yet he was long-suffering. Jesus was long-suffering. He was long-suffering with the Samaritans who refused to let him pass through their village. You remember that story? He wanted to pass through their village. They wouldn't let him. And here comes his main men, James and John. And what did they say? Lord, can we call fire from heaven down on them and turn them into grease spots? That's why I say it's a good thing we don't have the power of God. There'd be nobody in the churches left. There wouldn't be much left. Can you imagine if you had the power to call fire down on somebody and then just walk away whistling? There'd be no marriages. There'd be no children. But now, Jesus said, you don't know what spirit you're of. Isn't that interesting? He didn't say, no, that wouldn't be a good move. He said, guys, check your spirit. And what did they not have? Long-suffering. You don't know what spirit you're of. You're not long-suffering. You, you need to be like me because I'm not going to do that to them. They'll answer for it someday. And amazingly, Jesus was long-suffering with Judas. How many of you would have been? Would you have been long-suffering with Judas? If you could have turned Judas into a grease spot, would you have? If he came up and kissed you as a betrayal, the Judas kiss? No, no, no. We just said, burn! But now, over and over, over and over and over again, he let that tragic man know that he knew the full extent of his betrayal. Even at the Lord's Supper, he said, go and do what you must do. Do it quickly. I know what you're about to do. I know who you are. And I know you've been stealing money out of the money bag. I know you've been crooked. And I know that even though you've been with me, you haven't been of me. But go ahead. Go on and do it. It's all in God's hands. And he was still willing to forgive him had he turned in repentance. I believe Judas could have turned, but he didn't. Hung himself and went to hell. Jesus was long-suffering with Simon Peter and eager to forgive his denial. After his resurrection, Jesus went out of his way to find Peter and restore him. Long-suffering. Long-suffering with people. Long-suffering with your spouse, long-suffering with your children, long-suffering with church folk, long-suffering with the people at work, long-suffering. You're not easily angered. You're not short-tempered. But you're, you ever seen those mother dogs that have had a bunch of pups? And those puppies are crawling all over them, biting their ears, never letting them go to sleep, always, always harassing them. And have you ever seen that mother dog just sits there and just takes it, 
Never gets angry, never barks, never snaps, just takes it. You need to be long-suffering in rush hour traffic, long-suffering when things don't go your way, long-suffering when people, listen, fruit of the Spirit is long-suffering, which is to not be short-tempered, long-tempered. Now, the same long-suffering model in the life of Jesus is to be part of our character as well. When you abide in him and he abides in you, this is one of the fruits that ought to be growing. This one right here. We're to be long-suffering in the face of provocation and insult. One day, Peter asked Jesus, how often should I forgive my brother who sins against me? And he thought he was being spiritual when he said this, seven times? He thought he was really going out there to say, can I, if I forgive him seven times, is that enough, Lord? And you know what Jesus said, no, 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 not seven, but seven times 70, 490 times in one day. I have never had to forgive somebody 490 times in one day. But if I had to, for some reason, I should. Long-suffering. This level of long-suffering is not possible to the flesh. Hence, it's a fruit of the Holy Spirit grown in the soil of a born-again soul. Now, let me ask you a question. Are you more long-suffering than you were, say, a year ago? You should be. Fruit. Everybody say fruit. Fruit of the Spirit. See, you don't judge somebody's spiritual maturity by how many gifts they have. You judge somebody's spiritual maturity by how much fruit is grown. Because gifts are sown. Fruit is grown. Now, the next evidential fruit is gentleness. It comes from a Greek word meaning kindness or goodness of heart. And it is goodness in action. It is goodness in action. Now, as with all the other fruits of the Spirit, Jesus modeled gentleness the best. I believe the kindest man who ever lived was Jesus Christ. Really do. Peter summarized the life of Jesus by saying, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And what did he do? He went about everywhere doing what? Good. He only did good. He never did bad. He only did good and he healed everybody who was oppressed by the devil for God was with him. Now he's our model and to be a Christian means to be a little Christ. So here's the deal. As the fruit of the spirit grows, we ought to be going out more and more and more and doing good to others, being good, having the fruit of goodness manifested, not being ornery, not being mean, not being short-tempered, but good and doing good. Good is as good does. Think of his kindness as the disciples rebuked the mothers of Jerusalem for bringing their children to him, only to hear him say, Allow the children to come to me, for of such is the kingdom of God. Goodness. Jesus was good. He was the goodest man to ever live. And I know that's bad English, but it's good theology. He's the goodest man to ever live. Nobody was as good as Jesus ever. Think of his kindness as he touched the wretched leper who no one else would get near. But Jesus went near him. You know those poor lepers? They had to have bells. And when they went into a social setting of any kind, even near a town or a city, they had to ring those bells and cry out, leper, 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 leper approaching. And everyone scattered. You talk about lonely. You talk about ostracized. You talk about blue. You talk about down. Nobody would get near them except other lepers. 
And yet Jesus walked right up to him and, and did the unthinkable, touched him. The goodness of Jesus. He was just good. And how kind he was to Peter. Here we are again, overwhelmed as he was with guilt and shame for denying the Lord. And what about that dying thief? To his right-hand side on the cross, who just moments before cursed him as he hung on the cross. In fact, just try to imagine Jesus being unkind. Try to think of it. Can you imagine Jesus being unkind in any way, shape, or form? I can't. I can't think of it or imagine it. It can't be done because he was supremely, consummately, totally, thoroughly good. One of my favorite prophecies concerning Jesus was delivered by Isaiah the prophet. I love this verse. Isaiah 42 verse 3 says, talking of Jesus, he won't brush aside the bruised and the hurt. And he won't disregard the small and the insignificant. King James says the bruised reed he will not snap. And the smoking flax he will not quench. The bruised reed, you've seen these reeds sticking up out of ponds? All right. He's picturing one that is broken and about to go under. And he says, Jesus will not finish the job. He will be gentle with the bruise. And the smoking flax is a candle that it's almost burned out. You're almost burned out. You don't have much life left. You feel like you can't take another step. You're down to the last ounce of strength. You're discouraged. You're blue. You're disillusioned. And yet it says when Jesus encounters somebody that has only a little flicker of a flame that used to glow brightly, he will not blow it out. But he will stoke it in gentleness. I read that verse and I call it the prophecy of gentle Jesus. He's not mean. He's not dominating. He's not insistent. He's a gentleman and he's gentle. This predicts that Jesus would be gentle with the brokenhearted, kind to the crushed spirit, compassionate toward the struggling soul. How many of you have ever been crushed and you were so thankful that Jesus was gentle? Let me see. Amen? Me too. Now, the next evidential fruit of the Spirit is goodness. It means, now listen carefully, that which is characteristically good in itself and beneficial in its effect on others. Now, it's used to describe the absolute goodness of God. Jesus said one time, why do you call me good? No one is good but one. That is God. What did Jesus call God? Good. It's the same word right there. Now, these last two fruits, I know what you're thinking. Well, they sound like they're the same. They really do. Gentleness and goodness, what's the difference? Well, they're in the same family of virtues. They are siblings. But between the two, gentleness and goodness, goodness is stronger stuff. Goodness is stronger. Doing what is good might sometimes call for a tougher stand than would gentleness. Now, let me give you for instance. The Lord's goodness caused him to take off his gloves one day. He made a whip and he drove the money changers out of the temple. You remember that? That, that wasn't gentle Jesus. And, he, and, and do you read where strong men saw him coming and they ran? You know what that tells me? My Jesus was a man. 
What a wonderful word from Pastor Jeff. Today we learn what it means to truly live a life steeped in the fruits of the Spirit. When we accept Christ into our lives, we know what we're getting into. But do we really live out His divine calling over us? Stop ignoring the glorious plans that God has for you and lean into the fruits of the Spirit. The world will always be trying to make it seem like it's okay to backslide. Never back down and be strong for the cause of God's kingdom. Here's Diane with some more info about Hardwired. You've been listening to Hardwired with Jeff Wickwire. Would you be interested in helping support this ministry as we further the gospel? All you have to do is text 817-484-4767 and enter the word GIVE to donate. We're so grateful for your continued support in listening to this program and also investing in the ministry. Once again, text GIVE to 817-484-4767 to give. Here's Daniel one more time with a sneak peek about the next edition. Next time on Hardwired, Pastor Jeff shows us the difference between a life drenched into God's Word and a life that lets the lies of the world prevail. The more that you let the world into your soul, the further away from God's nature you'll become. No matter how innocent or easy it may seem, the wisdom of the world will only seek to tear you down. Turn and run away from the sin that the world is foisting upon you and rest in the divine promises of God. That's all we have for today's edition of Hardwired with Jeff Wickwire. If you'd like a copy of today's message, you can download it from our website, hardwired.org. Be sure to tune in again as Pastor Jeff continues teaching through the book of Galatians next time on Hardwired.